You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. In our series that we've called Jesus Said It, we have already dealt with a uh, topic that's kind of similar to the topic we'll deal with uh, today. Uh, it was a, the subject that I told you I hated the whole time thinking about having to deal with, and that was the one that said deal with your anger. Uh, and I had personal reasons for uh, Kylie uh, not looking forward to that one, uh, I guess, as I shared with you that Sunday. And uh, part of uh, the verses that we looked at on that Sunday really seemed to apply for us to have a right fellowship with God. I'm not talking about whether you can be a Christian or not, but to have the right fellowship with God, you have to have the right fellowship with other believers uh, also. And even to worship Him freely, uh, you have to deal with things that you might need to take care of relationally. Here, here's the verses that we saw a few weeks ago, part of those verses. It says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And in other words, I think Jesus is saying it's kind of futile for us to come and worship and bring our gift and our offerings and things like that, as long as we know uh, we have something uh, between ourselves and another believer that we really need to go and take care of. Uh, Today is really similar, except maybe in more detail, uh, what Jesus has to say. So let's look at our verses today. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, basically tells us to do this, and this is our topic today, to deal with relational issues. To deal with relational issues. Dealing with it does not mean doing nothing about it. Dealing with it does not mean, and I'll say something about this as one of the points in the message, really, but it does not mean to just ignore it or pretend that it's not there. Jesus, in, in these verses, I think, gives us some really specific steps that we can take to help us have a better capacity of dealing with relational issues. And we need to understand what the goal is, what the outcome needs to be, but Jesus literally tells us that we ought to do it. So as we look at these verses this morning, let's see if we can learn some things to apply to our lives about relational issues. First thing is this, we only got two main points and then really the second point's got a lot of really practical steps to take, but, but the first thing we need to notice today is this, the primary cause of relational issues is what? Sin. Now I'm not saying that's all the cause of relational issues, but that's a biggie. 
That's a primary cause of people having relational difficulties with each other. Jesus started out, and he said there in this text, if your brother sins against you. The word that he uses is a word that's used a lot of times in the New Testament whenever you come across the word sin. It's a word that means to miss the mark. And since you're missing the mark, you don't share in the prize. Uh, almost like you're in a you know, shooting contest, and because you can't hit the target, you can't hit the mark that you need to be hitting, you, you miss out on getting the prize. That's what sin does for us. Regrettably, when you think about eternity, we're missing the mark, and it's going to cost us the great prize, which is a relationship with God for all eternity through Jesus Christ. Maybe in a way of context of what Jesus is talking about today is he says, when your brother sins against you, that means that we can miss the mark with each other that causes us to lose a little bit of the prize of the relationship that we ought to have with each other as believers. He's letting us know that if somebody sins against us, the context of it, is another Christian sinning against another Christian. That's what's really meant by the word brother, when he has the word brother there. It's used symbolically for another person that's a believer. It literally means somebody of the same womb. So yes, it can talk about a literal brother, but the context Jesus used it in here, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, because guess what? We're all born the same way, amen? We're all born again, the same, more or less the same gospel womb, so to speak, if you want to look at it in those terms. That's how we become brothers and sisters in Christ. But sin causes relational issues with people. It'll cause relational issues within families. It'll cause relational issues with spouses. You know, sin will cause relational issues between parents and children or between co-workers, or between, you know, regrettably, even fellow church members. And that's really what Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture. Because sometimes, kind of as I identified last week, sometimes you'll have people that get jealous over other people, gossip about other people, things like that. And that causes relational issues right within a fellowship of believers, right within the church. So that's why Jesus is talking to his disciples, letting them know, giving them some instruction about how they need to deal with relational issues when another believer has sinned against them. And we need to learn the same lesson. We need to learn how to deal with relational issues. I mean, think about sin for a minute. Sin blocked the greatest relationship, didn't it? You know, God created Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden, fellowship with them, walked with them, and everything else. And because of their choices, because of sin... It ruined that relationship. And, and sin still does the same thing. It still ruins relationships among believers still yet today. Between people, it can ruin their relationships. So that's why Jesus is taking time here to let us know that we need to learn how to deal rightly with it. Because too often we deal in the wrong way. Too often we do this because we're human. We get mad. You know, we reject the person, we write the person off, we start to hate the person, whatever the case is, like that, and we respond in an absolute wrong way. When Jesus tells us here exactly how we ought to. We ought to respond 
in a way that brings about restoration, and we need to seek to forgive them. We're, we're trying to help that person, not just ourselves, be resolved in, in the relationship issue. We're trying to help that person in their own life to seek resolution about a sin in their life. And when that's accomplished, what we need to do is forgive them. Instead of what we tend to do a lot of times is this, we'll write it down in our little book, little black book, and we'll think, I'll remember this for the future. You ever do that? Keep a record of wrongs. The Bible tells us not to do that, the love chapter. And a lot of times we just deal with this and we just throw it out like as husbands and wives and stuff because, you know, I use it a lot with husbands and wives and premarital counseling and, and things like that. But guess what? It means more than that. Look, look at this passage of Scripture. And Peter, well, Peter came up to him. I, I'm about to skip one. I'm sorry. Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. We'll get to one in Corinthians later in the message. I'm jumping ahead in my mind. Uh, but anyway, look what Jesus says here. Now, some people will think that means 70 times 7 means, all right, you're keeping account of it. Like I said a moment ago, we'll see in Corinthians a little bit later, you don't do that. But it's like you're keeping account of it. I've forgiven you once, twice. I'm going to keep it up till 77 times. See, Peter was thinking 7 would be gracious. Jesus, when he, when he gives the number that he gives, does not mean to keep a record. It's a phrase used in the Middle East that Jesus was referring to an unlimited amount of time. We're always supposed to forgive. Instead of just having some threshold that we think once we've crossed that, we can write the person off. So first main thing this morning is this. The primary cause of relational issues is sin. That being the case, we need to learn how to deal with it because it does happen. You know, it happens in families, like I said, with people you work with, whatever the case is. A lot of relational issues happen as a result of sin. So what's the proper closure of it? How do we deal with it? What's the proper closure of relational issues? The proper closure is restoration. That's the goal. You'll see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus and other verses we'll look at in the New Testament that Jesus is looking for, that God desires. When somebody has sinned against us, instead of writing them off, being mad at them, being angry at them, hating them, just forgetting them, you know, turning away from them from now on, what we're supposed to do is bring about a proper closure that involves restoration of the relationship. And instead of just walking away or writing the person off. Jesus said, and let's re read it again real quick just to get it fresh in our mind, then we're going to break it all down. Jesus said, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, in other words, Jesus is saying, Verily, truly, absolutely so. I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. In those words of Jesus, we can find some steps 
some instructions that Jesus gives us, some steps that we can take to help bring about the proper closure in a relationship, some steps that we can take to help restore relational conflict when it happens. Jesus has given some very specific guidelines for Christians. Now, let me stop it for a minute and point that out. Jesus is giving this as a guideline for Christians to use with other Christians. You understand that? It's not something just that can then work in the community. There might be some principles here that would work with somebody else that's not a Christian. But Jesus has instructed us, absolutely, this is what we're supposed to do with another Christian. One reason it doesn't have any teeth, and I'll probably come back to this in a moment too, it doesn't have any teeth with a non-believer. They don't really give a hoot if you withdraw fellowship from them. You understand? They're not part of the body. They're not part of the church. So it loses the teeth, some of the steps that Jesus is talking about here. He's given us information, instructions, steps that we can take that will help us with conflict resolution within the context of a church. That we're believers within a church. Because he talks about taking it to a local church. He's not talking about taking it out to all the churches and get all the churches together. Jesus is talking about the local church. And he's saying that he's, well, these steps are to be used in the context of local church, the believers within that church, so they can get over relational conflicts with each other and live in harmony with each other. Now, now let me stop and stress that for a minute. He's not saying that you try and go straighten out a relational conflict and then you just part ways. He's saying it so you can fix it, so you can live in harmony with other believers. Now, here's, here's why I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to stress that really strongly for a minute. We need each other. And you don't get the help you need by walking away from a fellowship of believers. Because those are the people that love you. Those are the people that you're in a relationship with. So that's what Jesus is talking about. So let's look at these steps. Here's step number one. It's really practical. You're going to feel like you're in a relationship seminar today, but that's what Jesus did. That's what he told us to do, so we're going to talk about it. Here's step number one. Keep it private if possible. In other words, in the smallest context, in the smallest group you can keep it in, and the very smallest group is between you and the person that sinned against you. It says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. He, he's telling us step number one is not to tell somebody else about it. Step number one is to see the person individually yourself that you feel like has sinned against you and go and talk to them. Now, there's a lot of practical stuff there. One, they may not even realize that you think that they've sinned against you. There is a potential, you understand, that you're not perfect in everything that you think and your viewpoint of everything, and it may be that your perspective is wrong. And when you go and talk to the individual, you'll figure it out at that level, and it saves a whole lot of more conflict and, and you know, resolution having to take place it can be, if it can be settled at that small context to begin with between you and one other person instead of it being spread out. But I want you to know something before we go on. We're going to divide that, get three, three thoughts out of that phrase that we've already looked at there about keeping it private. But it's the responsibility of the person 
who has been sinned against to take the initiative. Did you see that? He said, if your brother has sinned against you, once again, they may be in ignorance of the fact that you feel like they've sinned against you. And I'm talking about authentic sin. I'm not talking about some of the little stuff that we let pop up sometimes. I had a lady upset with me one time, and I could tell she started acting different. I thought, what in the world is wrong with her? And finally, in talking about some other stuff, I figured it out one time. She said, well, you didn't shake my hand. I'm sorry. There are like 300 other people there. You know, I didn't mean to hate you. didn't mean not to shake your hand. Step around in front of me and let me, you know, she was even behind me, and I didn't even see it. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about authentic transgressions against you. Sins that are against you. And you are under the responsibility yourself, if you're the one that is sinned against, to take these steps that we're talking about. So, you know, you need to keep it private if possible and go to the individual. Look at, look at three sub-points to go along with this. Don't minimize it to begin with. Don't minimize conflict. In other words, don't ignore that it's happened. Jesus said, go and tell him his fault. You don't know why you don't need to ignore something that's happened. You never fix anything by ignoring it. Do you understand that? You never, ever heal a relationship just by ignoring it. Even if you try and convince yourself, well, they probably didn't know what they did. It's in your psyche, it's in your heart, and it's causing you some difficulty. That's why you need to go to them and bring it to a proper resolution. And you need to go to them in private to start with. Don't minimize it. You know, Jesus isn't saying just ignore it. He's saying you need to go and talk to this other believer that has sinned against you. Now, why is that so important? Well, one reason is this. It's very detrimental to the kingdom of God and to the effectiveness of a church when the lost world around us sees Christians in conflict with each other. You understand that? I could guarantee you, back several years ago, when there was a lot of conflict going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, every time we had an annual meeting that the news media was going to pop something out about it because the liberals and the conservatives were fighting with each other and quirping back and forth about each other, and that was going to make the national news because the world loves to betray us as though we're crazy. It's like it gets the monkey off their back a little bit of maybe trusting in the same Jesus that we trust in. So that's why it's something you need to take care of. You don't need to minimize the conflict. You need to go and tell them their fault because it's a very poor example when believers can't get along, when we can't relate to each other, when we can't talk to each other. That's a poor example for the lost world. Here's another reason why it's important. That person, remember we're talking about a believer? That person, by that sin that you might need to approach them about, you see, they might not just be sinning against you. There might be a lot of other sin in their life. It's detrimental to their own personal testimony, and it impacts their ability to share the gospel effectively with other people and to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And it hurts the testimony of the kingdom of God. It hurts the testimony of the church. It hurts the going forth of the gospel. That's why Jesus said, go and talk to them. Don't minimize it. Instead, you need to go and talk to them about it. Now, 
to start with evaluate and be sure it's a sin. Not a quirk, like I said a moment ago. All of us have our own little quirks, right? All of us have different things about our personality. This has nothing to do with whether you like somebody else's personality or not. You know, this has nothing to do with whether you're a Duke fan or a Carolina fan. We, we're polarized about that in this church all the time. They're all the time going back and forth at each other. You know, during basketball, it has nothing to do with that kind of stuff. It has everything to do with if somebody has authentically sinned against you and they have active sin in their life, you need to go to that person. Now, let me qualify it. Neither is Jesus saying there's a license for you to go and just slam them. You understand what I'm saying? It's not, it, Jesus is not giving you a license to go and have some type of frontal attack to where you just kick them around and abuse them. That's not what he's saying. Remember what the goal is? What are we talking about? Resolution. Resolution. Step number one is to keep it as private as possible. Don't minimize the conflict. But also, you don't need to do this. Don't multiply the conflict. Don't make it worse than it needs to be. You go to the person, like Jesus said, don't ignore it, but don't multiply the conflict because you're going to that person between you and him alone. What do I mean by multiply the conflict? Here's what I mean by that. You tell everybody else under the sun about it except the person that sinned against you. And when you do that, you have multiplied the conflict. Because it's no longer in that smallest realm that Jesus said to try and keep it in. Now, it's out. And you know what I found out about something when it's out? The story begins to morph itself. And change depending upon who's telling it and what they think they've heard. We, we did an example of that one time. At another church, I was pastoring at a Christian school, and we were doing the chapel time. And we started a message in the ear of one child here, and they were supposed to pass it all the way around until the last child. And we're going to find out what the message was the last child got. The message we gave up here was this. God loves sinners but hates sin. By the time it ran through, you know what the last person said? God loves sinners sin and hates sinners big difference that's what happens when we let something out like that and we're talking to everybody else under the sun some of you heard me tell this story before but it's an illustration i thought makes a really good point about gossip several years ago that i read probably men 20 years ago or so so i probably told this several times but there's this person that had gone and told stories about a, a friend of his. And then he got under conviction about it, and it caused a big problem because everyone was knowing and talking about it. So he, it was in a village uh, over in Europe, so he went to see the local monk there and asked the monk what he should do. And, and the monk told him that you need to go out and put a feather. Here's your penance. You need to go out and put a feather at the door of everybody where you shared this piece of information, this gossip. And he did it, and the guy come back like, I have done my penance. You know, it's taken care of. And then he said, no, it's not. The monk said, there's one more thing. I want you to go back, and I want you to collect all the feathers. And the man said, that's impossible. The wind's blowing away. He said, neither can you take back the words that you've said. We need to be careful that we don't multiply the conflict. We need to keep it as private as possible, the smallest 
format possible. We need to go to them personally and not gossip to other people. We need to be mature enough as Christians to go to that individual and talk to them. Third thing you need to get out of this first step about keeping it private is this. Don't magnify the conflict. Multiply and magnify almost sound like the same thing, but but you need to get something different. Here's what I mean. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Magnifying the conflict would be this. Magnifying the conflict would be for you to make it worse by what you say to them. You, you go to them instead of remembering the goal is to restore the relationship, the goal is to help. You go there with the idea of winning the argument. You go there with the idea of coming out on top. You go there with the idea of thinking, I'm going to put that person in their place. I'm going to tell them what's what. You go there with the mindset of giving them a verbal beating. And you see, that's not the goal. We're talking about restoration. That's the goal that Jesus has in conflict resolution. It's not to go and make it worse by treating the person the wrong way. It's to go and communicate with them in the way that you're trying to to restore the relationship, not destroy it. You're you're trying to get the person to listen. You're not there to give them a verbal beatdown. The the goal is to keep the relationship, not to kill the relationship. So, So that's why we need to be careful that when we go to the individual, we don't just make it worse and cause it to be larger than it is and magnify the conflict and cause a bigger blow up in it. And then once it's resolved, here's what you need to do. Once it is resolved, you need to leave it resolved. Instead of trying to pick it back up later. Don't recycle the conflict. You, in other words, you've gone to the person and, and, and there seems to be a resolution and everything and, and it's solved. But then you walk away kind of thinking, I'm still going to keep my eye on you. You've done this to me one time. I'm, I'm going I'm to watch you and I'm going to be careful around you and you see that's not true forgiveness we don't need to keep a record of it so we can pull it back out in the future here's a scripture i started to reference earlier it says love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it's not rude it's not self-seeking it's not easily angered notice this it keeps no what record of wrong Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So we need to bring love into the situation when someone has sinned against us. Our goal is to maintain the relationship. Our goal is to seek restoration. Our goal is to keep it in the smallest format possible. Because if you don't strive to do that to begin with, now Jesus does talk about expanding the format, and that's where we're going next. But if you don't keep it in the smallest format to begin with, you probably have lost your brother instead of having the chance to win them to yourself because you've made it worse before you ever had the chance to resolve it, just you and that person alone. Does that make sense? Second main step is this. Enlist help if needed. Enlist help if needed. 
What's happened so far? Someone sinned against you. You've gone to the person in private trying to keep it in that context. But Jesus goes on and he says, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If they don't listen, you still need to pursue resolution in some way. I gave you a lot of don'ts a minute ago. Yeah, I told you a moment ago, don't minimize the conflict. Don't multiply the conflict. Don't magnify the conflict. You might want to come out there beside in your notes and write this down. Don't abandon the conflict. Just because a person did not listen to you doesn't mean it's a done deal. Resolution hasn't happened. Repentance hasn't happened. That's why Jesus says if they will not listen to you to where you can win your brother and have everything restored in that small conflict, you need to take somebody with you. Now, I've already said this, but I want to say it several times. You need to evaluate what the issue is, okay? Is it really something that is a sin against you or have you just decided you don't like somebody, you know, or you think they've high-handed you? That's not even worth dealing with. Jesus is talking about if someone has sinned against you, and if it really involves sin that's perpetuated by another believer against another believer, then it needs to be dealt with. Not just for your own satisfaction or where you can think, aha, I dealt with them. It's for their benefit too. It's for the person that sinned against you. Like I said, they may not even realize they have but if they know they have, it's still for their benefit because you know, you're carrying maybe the, being upset with them because they sinned against you. They may be carrying authentic guilt because they sinned against you. But it's for their benefit. It's also for their benefit in this life. So they will preserve their testimony and be all they can be for the kingdom of God. That's why you need to enlist help if it is something that involves true sin against you. It's not just about you and what they've done to you. It's about helping them and it's about glory for the kingdom of God. you understand that? Jesus really quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15. The Bible says there, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. It's almost like it's a courtroom setting that he's talking about. And he says that you need to take somebody. What, what's the purpose maybe of additional witnesses? I think it's probably at least twofold. One is for your benefit. If you go to see somebody that sinned against you, and they would not listen to you to start with, and now you're going back and taking witnesses with you, it's for your benefit for this reason. You've got somebody there that hears truly what is said, and it keeps them from spinning it however they want to spin it. You understand that? It keeps, you know, misunderstanding for them to, you know, just spin it out some way that, that would harm you. It's also for the other person's benefit. You're taking the witnesses with you, not so you guys can gang up on the person that sinned against you, but I think that person is also there for the person who you think has offended you, who sinned against you. They're there for their benefit also because they might kind of reel you in a little bit. 
You know, they, they might kindly hold your feet to the fire and, and be sure that, that you're being held accountable in what you say and the attitudes and the actions that you portray. They could be there and wind up, you know, after you go and talk to the person and saying, do you not understand you're at fault as much as the other person is? To where there can be authentic resolution takes place. It's not like you've got a team that you're thinking we're going to get that person. And we're going to tell that person and we're going to straighten them out. The witnesses there, I think, for their benefit as much as for your benefit. And Jesus says to go and take somebody with you. See, a lot of times in conflict resolution, we're not aware of our own emotions sometimes. And we may be the ones that are out of kilter. And we need somebody to give us perspective as we're in it. Step number three is this. Step number three is apply spiritual discipline if warranted. Apply spiritual discipline if warranted. If he refuses to listen to them, in other words, you've gone to them in private, and the person would not listen, you've taken witnesses with you, and the person would not listen, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And then Jesus goes on and talks about binding and loosing and the authority to do this. We've already read it, so I'll not read all that again right now. But he's telling us to apply spiritual discipline if spiritual discipline is warranted. What's the reason for it then? What's the reason for spiritual discipline taking place? Here's the reason for it. You went to the person, they wouldn't listen. You took witnesses, they wouldn't listen. You brought it before the church, and still the offended party, the one that has sinned, would not listen. That's the reason for the discipline taking place. That's the reason that Jesus tells them to practice some spiritual discipline and gives them some, some details about exactly what to do. Now, now reel it back for a minute. I want us to keep in mind what we're talking about. The conflict that Jesus talks about involves two believers. One has sinned against the other. And they wouldn't listen to the person. They wouldn't listen to the person and his witnesses. And now they will not listen to the church. So Jesus is saying that here... The church may need to get involved with disciplinary actions if they are warranted. Now, why would that need to take place? Remember what we've already said. That person has sinned against another Christian. If it is an authentic sin, they've hurt their own testimony, they're hurting the testimony of the church, they're hurting the testimony of the kingdom of God. That's why it is serious enough to deal with at a church level. That's what Jesus is telling us. Now, having said that, I want to back up to something I kind of rubbed shoulders with earlier to be sure you clearly understand it. The church has no authority over giving discipline in the lives of unbelievers. You understand that? Matter of fact, when we try to do that, and we try to do that a lot of times in various ways, when we try and do that, There's one thing that shuts the ears of lost people to hearing the gospel because we think they think we're just a bunch of crazy people with rules. See, rules, living up to rules does not save anybody. 
And if we come across to a lost world like you have to live up to our rules, you have to meet our standards, I want to remind you of something. You couldn't do it before you're saved. They can't do it before they're saved. The only thing that equips you and I to try and follow God's will and live our lives according to His will is the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us after we become believers. It's not something that we just manipulate and do ourselves. So it's crazy for the church to think that we've got the authority to tell lost people how to live their lives because they can't change their own lives. They have to come to Christ. And the greatest problem we give to the gospel is us coming across like we're holier than thou little people and we're turning our nose down upon them and you and I deserve to go to the same devil's hell that they will go to if they don't receive Christ because we're saved by grace. It wasn't by our works. It's by Jesus' finished work on the cross. So that's the reason for spiritual discipline. What's the method of it? What, what method does Jesus say needs to happen? If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now that loses a little bit of its teeth uh, for us in our culture today because a lot of people don't understand what a Gentile is. A Gentile from a Jewish standpoint would be like a heathen person, you know. Someone that's really far from God, I guess, would be the way for us to think about it. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Now, we understand the tax collector illustration probably, right? Maybe not in the same way that the Jews did because the, the Jews were really upset because there were Jewish people working for the Roman government who were collecting taxes from Jewish people, okay? We don't like it just because of the IRS, amen? <laughs> and, you know, having to pay taxes and stuff like that. So, but the method of spiritual discipline is this. is to withdraw fellowship from that person who has refused to listen to you in private. They refuse to listen to you in witnesses. They have refused to listen to the whole church. So Jesus says withdraw fellowship from that person. Now here's why I said this can only be practiced toward believers. Because a non-believer doesn't care. But if someone's an authentic believer and God has placed them in that local church, it should grieve their, their soul. It should grieve their heart to feel like that they weren't part of that fellowship. It's not done to ostracize them. That's not what it's about at all. It's not, it's not like stay away from me with a vampire sign. It's about trying to give them a wake-up call to where they will repent because it's for their benefit and it's for the kingdom of God's benefit and it's for resolution between believers. That's why Jesus said to withdraw the fellowship, to get their attention, to disassociate with them. Now, now let me clarify this because someone will go off on a wild hair if I don't. Every church has members that sin from time to time, right? No church is filled with perfect people. If you ever find a church that's filled with perfect people, you know what you need to do? Don't join it. Because the minute you join it, it's messed up. 
I've had pastors tell me before, you know, uh, when they're looking for a church, if I know of a really, really good church they could go to. You know, really, really like perfect church. You know, no conflict and stuff like that. And I always say, I don't. But if I did, I wouldn't send you there. <laughs> because the minute you become their pastor, they'd be messed up. So no such thing as a perfect church. So, so there will be people who have sin in their lives in a local church. We're, we're supposed to avoid that as much as we possibly can. But the scenario Jesus presents us here is this. It's a person that has such a huge blind spot or such a huge spot of rebellion in their heart that they're not willing to listen to anybody. They're not willing to listen to the person they've sinned against. They're not willing to listen to them and other people they bring with them. They're not willing to listen to the whole church body. And Jesus says if the person has that kind of mindset, that's when you need to withdraw fellowship. Not to hurt them. It's a wake-up call because if they really are part of that church and God plugged them into that church. Guys, I don't like to even be gone from here on a Sunday when I'm on vacation. Because I miss seeing you. Can you imagine what it would be like if all of a sudden every member of the church that you're a part of turns their back on you? So that sounds harsh. It's not... It's not as harsh as them continuing to sin and hurt their testimony and go in the wrong direction and hurt the testimony of the church and hurt the testimony of the kingdom of God. Because if, if that person is really all they need to be in Christ, that ought to bring them to the point of repentance like that. Where they get a wake-up call and they realize they need to confess what they've done and repent. Of what they've done. I'll ask you a question, and I, I want you to think a little bit in your own mind, and that's why I'm going to ask you this question, and then we'll kind of uh, answer it right before I close here in a few moments. How would you treat a Gentile, a heathen, or a tax collector if you were trying to reach them? Now give that a thought and think about that because we'll come back to it in a moment, okay? The authority for spiritual discipline. We're talking about applying spiritual discipline if it's warranted. There's a reason for it. The person would not listen. The method of it is to withdraw fellowship. The authority of it because somebody might ask, well, what right does the church have to try and tell some believer how they ought to live? Jesus said, truly, I say to you. You see where the authority comes from? Who has the right? Who gives the church the right or believers the right to try and deal with a relational conflict? Jesus does. I say to you, and he's God in the flesh. I say to you that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's something similar he told you know, Peter and some of the disciples earlier about having the keys to the kingdom to set people free. And he's talking about there setting them free for salvation. Here he's talking about us setting people free by, by resolving conflict between believers. And he's saying the church has the authority, the God-given authority to deal with, and help deal with these relational issues. 
We don't need just to jump into it because those people one-on-one need to have the chance to resolve it if they can. Or one-on-one with witnesses. But if that doesn't work and they bring it to the church, at that point in time, the church is almost like the, the appellate court for Christians. And it's really the only court that Christians ought to go to. The Bible also says not to be taking other Christians to court. Dragging them in over lawsuits and things like that. I say in you, if any agree on earth about anything they ask. By the way, the word you is plural in this form. So he's talking about the church. He's not talking about the individual going to the person. Again, I say if any of you agree about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And man, does this verse, this last verse, really get perverted. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I among them. You know how that verse gets used a lot of times? You're having something like a prayer meeting or whatever like that, and just don't a lot of people show up, and you're trying to make yourself feel better about the attendance, and you'll, people say things like, well, the Bible says wherever two or three gather together, there he is in my name. Guess what? If I'm here by myself, he's here. <laughs> if you're here by yourself or home at studying the Bible by yourself, he's there because he lives in every believer. Amen. That's not what Jesus is talking about. This isn't some excuse for us to whip out whenever not enough people show up at church or for a prayer meeting or something like that. That's not the context. The context is the church dealing with resolute, helping to bring about resolution and conflict. The church dealing with, res- with relational conflict. That's what the context is and he's saying if you're gathered together in my name doing my will being sensitive to what my will is then you can help bring about the right type of response the right resolution repentance in that person's life restoration taking place by binding and loosening by by withdrawing fellowship with them until it brings about the right response step number four is this always maintain right motives always maintain the right motives if he listens to you you've gained your brother that's what the goal is the goal is to help the goal is not to hurt The goal is to bring about restoration, not destruction. The the goal is to bring about repentance in that person's life. In their instances of church discipline being instructed and managed by the Apostle Paul that we need to take a moment and look at to help us understand what the outcome is, what the right motive is, what the goal is. It's restoration. That's really what we've been talking about the whole time, restoration. As I close, look at these verses to see how this was fleshed out some in the New Testament within a local church. Paul writes to these Corinthian believers, and they were really kind of prideful over how open they were, you know? And he's saying it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. And of the kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. So he's telling them some of you are acting worse than the lost people even act. Than the pagan world. For a man has his father's wife. 
Man, let that hit the average Baptist church and see how long the grapevine takes to get cranked up on that one. It'll shut down AT&T, all the cell phone companies, and everything else will get an overload. People trying to call and talk, which is the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. And you are arrogant. In other words, you're kind of prideful about it. Well, yeah, they're doing it, but we, we love them, we accept them. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. What did Jesus say? Withdraw the fellowship. That's what he said. But you need to understand what the goal is, what the motive is, keeping the motive right, because later on in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about the same situation, and he says, for such a one, talking about the one that had his father's wife, this punishment by the majority is enough. Paul's saying it has served its course. We've done what Jesus told us to do, and now it's served its course. The, the punishment, that withdrawal of fellowship is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Yes, there's spiritual discipline to be meted out, but the goal is to bring about restoration. That's why I asked you a moment ago, how would you try and win a pagan person, a heathen person, a Gentile? Would you do it by never, ever having any contact with them? Would you do it by kicking them while they're down, by being mean-spirited to them? Or would you try and win that lost pagan person to Jesus by also giving them some evidence of love. See, that's what keeps us from reaching lost people sometimes. They think we're just going to beat them up. Same principle needs to hold true with believers. That's what Paul is saying. Or he might be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. You have destroyed him instead of restoring so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Because you've made your point, And that's time to be sure that you meet your goal of restoration. Look at the next verse. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, anyone caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. I think he says you who are spiritual, because if you go into it as a young Christian, heavy-handed and everything, you're really going to mess it up. And you may be a little bit prideful. If you're not careful, you'll fall into the same sin they've fallen into. You who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. You see the attitude? We're not to go and beat them down. We're not to go and beat them up. We're not to go and slam them. We're to restore them by having... Gentleness, a spirit of gentleness. And he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word for restore in the Greek is really interesting. It's a medical term that meant to set a broken bone. How many of you have ever had a broken bone set? How many have had two? If you went to see a doctor that's going to set a broken bone for you, 
you want a doctor that's just going to be abusive and harsh and he's just going to grab that arm and he's going to just yank it into place? Or do you want somebody with some sense that knows how to do it and gives some gentleness to you as they take care of it? Like I said, I've had it done, guys. I, I, I would rather be somebody that knows what they're doing and they've got the right attitude in doing it and they're not just grabbing it and moving around because they're doing more damage than they are helping. And that ought to speak volumes to the way we deal with people when they have sinned against us. And what the goal is that we ought to have, not to beat them up, not to make it worse. We're not grabbing them like it's a broken bone and we're just trying to force it into place. Instead, with gentleness, we're trying to bring about the right resolution. We're trying to bring about the right result. Ephesians tells us this. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We're supposed to speak truth, but how are we supposed to speak it? Mean-spirited? I'm going to win the argument against you. Do you realize you can win the argument and lose your brother? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up. See, see, it, it's, it's talking about us maturing. It's talking about us growing as we should, as, as a church body, as individuals. In every way unto him who's the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We've already seen this in this series, but the illustration is this. Every part of the body is vital and it's important, and we need to treat it so. That's why we need to seek restoration. I mean, sometimes they can do miraculous things anymore. I promise you, if somehow my right hand is cut off this afternoon, I'm going to tell them, if you can, reattach it. Because I'd rather have it and the use of it than be without it. And, and that speaks to restoration within the church body. We need to speak the truth to people, but you need to do it in love so we can grow as we ought to as believers together. And then just maybe Jesus set the context for everything we've looked at this morning in his words in Matthew 18 by something he said right immediate to the verses that we've looked at. We've looked at verse 15 down through verse 20 today. Look what Jesus said at verse 12 through 14. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now a lot of times we use that in the context of going after lost people. But right after Jesus told that as an illustration, what did Jesus talk about? He talked about restoring relationships with other believers. Just maybe that gives us a picture of what the goal is in, rela in relational conflict, and that is for us to seek restoration. Think about this. Jesus became flesh, came into this world, died for us, did all that he could possibly do, 
in order for you and I to be restored to God the Father. So we can be restored to Him as sinners. If Jesus did that, just maybe we need to do all we can to go after people who have sinned against us. Not go after them in the wrong way, but with the right spirit so that they can be restored and be part of the body. Jesus said, deal with relational issues. The goal is restoration. The primary cause of relational problems is sin. That's the primary cause, the main reason, the root reason, the foundational cause for a lot of relational conflict. It's sin. Sin being perpetuated against other believers is what Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture. And Jesus tells us the proper closure of it is to do all you can to bring about resolution. Take the right steps. Go to the person in private to begin with. If they won't listen, take somebody with you. If they won't listen, bring it to the church. If they won't listen, you might have to deal with some spiritual discipline in order to give them a wake-up call. But the goal is not to ostracize them, to hurt them, to beat them while they're down. The goal is to restore them so they're still a vital part of the body. The goal is to keep a relationship with them. So before I pray, can I ask you a meddling question? <laughs> do you, do I have some work to do? What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean this. I mean, is, is there someone that sinned against you and instead of you dealing with it the right way, you've just held it? And it's become a seed of bitterness in your heart. When you should go to this other believer and, and work it out so there's no barrier between you and that person. Or maybe you have some work to do from this standpoint. Maybe you've already gone and you dealt with it in the wrong way. You went to the person that has sinned against you and you dealt with it entirely the wrong way. And you realize now it was the wrong way. So maybe you need to apologize to them and say, I'm sorry, this is what Jesus said I should have done. This is what I should have done. And I didn't. And I'm sorry. What other work might you have to do? Just maybe there's someone here today that has a huge relational problem because they're a sinner and God's holy and perfect. And just maybe today you need that relationship restored because Jesus came, He lived a sinless life, He went to the cross, He shed His blood for your sin, for my sin, so that when you believe in Him, you trust in Him, if He calls you to yourself, you accept His finished work on the cross for your salvation and you're restored to a holy God. Just maybe today you are somebody that needs that kind of restoration between you and God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to apply these principles in our lives. God, because of sin and the impact that it has, it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts other believers. It, hurts, it can hurt a church, it can hurt the testimony of the church, it hurts the kingdom of God, the going forth of the gospel. God, help us as much as possible to live our lives without giving in to sin.
But Father, when we have sinned, help us not to be blind to it. Help us not to be rebellious. Help us to be willing to listen to the, to the approach of others who want to restore us. Father, when others sin against us, help us to, to practice these principles that we'll take the right steps in order that restoration might take place. And Father, right now there's someone here that because they're lost in sin and they've never trusted in Jesus or even understood what that looked like, help them right now to understand that they're not restored to a relationship with you by their own actions, but they can be restored by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus said it is finished, and he meant that. He meant he had paid everything necessary for the salvation of all who had come to him. So, Father, if there's someone today that needs to be restored because of their sin to you, we ask you to draw them to yourself also. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As the band uh, sings, we have this invitation, this decision time. If you're a believer and there's someone that you've got some work to do that I mentioned a few moments ago, Maybe as you were praying, the Holy Spirit reminded you of some names. Why not make a commitment right now to go and see that person? Make it right. Follow the steps that Jesus has here. You can pray that right there, or you can be transparent. might be some benefit in being transparent for all of us. And come and kneel and say, God, help me to go to that person and help restoration to take place. you're someone that needs to be restored to God through Jesus Christ and you've never received Him as Savior, why not come during this time as the band plays? Please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Bayfield Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.